The City Club of Idaho Falls is proud to be a KISU supporter. The City Club exists to sponsor and promote civil dialogue and discourse on matters of public interest by striving to do so in a nonpartisan and nonsectarian manner while encouraging broad participation by the community at large. To learn more, search online for Idaho Falls City Club. Welcome to the City Club of Idaho Falls. My name's Greg Crockett. I'm currently the president of the City Club of Idaho Falls, and on behalf of our board of directors, uh, I welcome you all here. Quite frankly, this is the first live luncheon we've conducted in two years. So uh, we're getting used to hopefully our old format. And uh, I'll apologize, of course, for all our cautions, our COVID cautions. And uh, it's a little different, but we, we're not all knowing how to bear up uh, under all these precautions. Um, remind everybody there is a car and tea, a coffee and tea bar around the corner. Please help yourself there. Um, we've been doing virtual programs here again for two years, so it's uh, so happy for me to welcome you all back in person. Uh, and we are hoping to present a series of, in the upcoming months, a series of programming that will be of interest to all of you. And uh, we'll discuss that in a minute. There's been some changes with the City Club, uh, not the least of which uh, is that we have a new administrator. And uh, she is Tammy McCammon. I would have Tammy stand. <laughs> so there's a learning curve here, and this is Tammy's first luncheon. And our first luncheon, of course, with uh, COVID precautions. Carol, I hope you're enjoying your chicken. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a side joke. Speaking of the City Club of Idaho, uh, City Club of Idaho Falls, we do. We are directed by a board of directors and uh, members of our board. Would you please stand right now and be recognized? Uh, Mark, come on, stand up. Dana, Park, uh, Carol, Lexi, uh, appreciate you all. Uh, of course, our program today has to do with College of Eastern Idaho. Uh, I would point out that our board member, uh, Park Price, also serves as a trustee of the College of Idaho. And you may all recall that that is actually an elected position. And uh, you're serving till when, Park? Okay. So he will likely be up for re-election. Um, of course, the other uh, trustees of the College of Idaho are Cal Lozaki, Carrie Scheid, uh, Stephanie Mickelson, and uh, Craig Miller. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some uh, scheduling that we're doing in the future and coming months. Um, we next month, uh, February 4th, we will meet here again live in person with uh, INL Director John Wagner. We have uh, many of us have not had the pleasure of meeting John Wagner yet. Uh, of course, he's got a big job as director of the INL. And we're looking forward to look forward to his being here in our forum. 
uh, to give us a presentation and ask our questions. Speaking of questions, this is the City Club, so we're adhering to our uh, usual format, and that is uh, the speakers will have an opportunity to give their remarks, and then the audience will have an opportunity to ask questions. And the questions will be uh, presented by our moderator, Dana Kirkham. So to ask a question again, there's index cards on all your tables and a pen. We ask that you fill out your question, hold it up. Either Lexi or Tamla come by and get it, get it to Dana, so that we will convey your questions on to our speakers. Uh, always, I need to recognize the sponsors of the City Club. Uh, they're important to us because they keep us financially stable. They include Bank of Idaho, Raymond James Financial, Idaho State University and KISU Radio, the INL, and the Idaho Humanities Council. I want to, uh, you know, make sure our audience members know and would appreciate the fact that we want your input. Uh, we want your input about what we're doing. Uh, we want your critiques about what we're doing and how we're doing it. We want to bring programming here that is interesting uh, and important to you all. So, you know, please uh, give us your suggestions on programming. Uh, you could certainly contact any member of our board of directors or simply go on our website and contact us uh, and, and give us your ideas about what programs you would like to see in the future. Uh, again, we're February with John Wagner. In March and April, we're going to do, uh, our, our plan is to do candidate forums or statewide offices starting with the Office of Attorney General. Uh, our, this will be for the May primary. Uh, our current Attorney General, uh, Lawrence Wazin, is being challenged by uh, a Republican candidate, Ralph Labrador. Uh, we will next probably turn to our gubernatorial primary race, uh, likely to feature uh, Brad Little and um, Janice McGann. Uh, we'll do that in a couple months. We have in, the, in Quay lots of other programs that hope will bring, be of interest to you. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce our moderator, who will in turn introduce our speakers for today. We all know Dana Kirkham, former mayor of Ammon, and currently the director of strategic initiatives with the Idaho Environmental Coalition, otherwise known as the cleanup contractor. Dana. Well, welcome, friends. It is so nice to see you all in person. It's just such a privilege. It feels like it's been so long, so it's really great to be here with all of you. So I get to ask the tough questions today, but I don't know how tough they'll be considering for talking to two people who are engaged in so much good. So I have the privilege of introducing our two speakers today. And I'm really grateful to be able to introduce President Amon because I have certainly been in the audience so many times when his name has been mispronounced in other forums. <laughs> Dr. Amon, Dr. Amon. So it's really nice to be able to get it right. All right, so 
We all know Dr. Amen. He's a ubiquitous member of our community. We see him often in many wonderful places and engaged in great causes. He's the president, of course, of the College of Eastern Idaho. He became the first president of the college when it transitioned, and probably all of you remember this, from a technical school to a college in 2017 by a vote of the people. Probably many of you, so thank you. Um, Rick has been in leadership at, at the community college level for several decades. About not to date you. So you started when you were 10 or something, but for several decades. As a vice president of the student services for Umpqua Community College, thank you. Uh, vice president of academic and student affairs at the College of Western Idaho, to name just a few. Dr. Amon received this prestigious distinction by earning a doctorate in community college leadership from Oregon State University. Rick is also a pilot. I don't know how many of you know that, and I often turn to him for all of my aeronautical questions so that I'm not a nervous flyer. Um, he is also just half of the dynamic duo that is Rick and Linda Amon that we all know so well. So we look forward to hearing from you, Dr. Amon. And following Dr. Amon, we will hear from Anne-Marie Peters. Maybe some of you have heard of her as well. She is the Director of Strategic Partnerships for the College of Eastern Idaho. She is passionate about the power of education to eradicate poverty. I think that's a really interesting topic. And she is very passionate about the important role of CEI as it plays out in this region, and we, we love her for that. She's been honored with many distinctions as well, including she was the 2019 Eastern Idaho Woman of Influence in, in Education in Eastern Idaho. Um, in 2019, she was honored as an Idaho Business, Re Idaho Business Review Woman of the Year honoree. She earned her BA in Behavioral Sciences from the University of Chicago, her MBA from Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Business, and I was surprised to see this on her bio because when she first told me this next part, she told me in secret, she said, I don't really know if I want people to know this because then I will be accountable. So I guess now she's very accountable, but she's currently working toward a PhD in psychology. So that's a big deal. Um, Anne-Marie recently moved to Ohio with a man that maybe some of you have heard of, so we'll leave him nameless in this. Uh, but she just can't leave Eastern Idaho alone. It's in her blood, and we're so glad to have you here as well. So welcome, both of you. Thank you, Dana. So, Dana, you, you have taken the high road today. I, I just <laughs> certainly appreciate that. You, you can't. <laughs> What, what a wonderful opportunity to be in front of all of you as friends. My, and, we're, and today is about two of my favorite organizations here in Idaho Falls. We are so privileged to have City Club, and we are so privileged to have you in person. I love what you do. So you pat yourself on the back. This is great. And pat yourself on the back that in spite of COVID, you're here, uh, and, and I appreciate that. The second, uh, obviously, would be uh, an interest in a community college. Uh, and uh, uh, board chair Park Price, you, you've already been introduced by Greg, but um, I'm under contractual obligation to recognize my board chair. Sharon, thank you. You, 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 you both have been so helpful to the startup of this institution and the direction of this institution. Let me start with this. I simply want to, to celebrate the fact that right near your home, 
year in and year out, a community college is quietly, shouldn't do that. I'm, I'm acting like Mayor Casper, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> so I simply want to celebrate the fact that, near, uh, that right near your home, year in and year out, a community college is quietly, with very little financial encouragement, saving lives and uh, saving lives in minds. I can't think of a more efficient, hopeful, or egalitarian machine with the possible exception of the bicycle. So that, that is Kay Ryan, and uh, I, I, because, because we have been talking about PhDs, I, I need to cite Lori Barber, who actually found that. She didn't say it, but she found it, so I should probably give her credit. Um, we've, we've got two parts to this. My part is to talk to you about this region, about community colleges, and then more particularly, let's look into the future and see what these community colleges are going to do. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with this, but uh, really we have a nice mission statement. You can read that for yourself. Uh, we, we condense this immensely, but the three things that we have as core themes would be learning for work and life. The, the second is being student-centered, and then the third is community engagement. So those are really important, but what does it, what does it actually boil down to? What do we talk about um, when we're in staff meetings and, and when we're talking with you? What is it we do? Well, it, it's that, that very last part. We change lives, and we're not a university, and, and it's great to have Lyle Castle here, and a lot of what we do with our students is uh, trans, you know, turn them into juniors, maybe as little debt as possible and turn them over to Lyle and let them finish off that baccalaureate. But, you know, I think we're all uh, understanding that maybe a baccalaureate isn't the key to the realm uh, the way it maybe once was. So education sits at this nexus of reality and possibility. So we've got to do something outside of that high school graduation. There just plain has to be more in order for our students to be successful. Many, many students come from harsh realities. In fact, what we do, and, uh, and uh, Chairman Price um, was at our in-service, and we always start with a, uh, a student. And, and uh, a lot of times we, we bring a student into uh, trustee meetings, and I tell them, we have five trustees, all I want you to do is have three of them crying when you're done. <laughs> and, and they normally can do that, because these, these are wonderful stories. Uh, and, and, and really, that's what a community college is about. And I think you know, we have four of these. And in fact, all four of us were in Boise this week, and all four, we have two new presidents. Um, so all four of the presidents met with Speaker Bedke and got a chance to talk to him about um, the upcoming um, legislative period and the importance and the uniqueness of community colleges. So there are a whole bunch of opportunities and a whole bunch of things that fall to a community college. Here are five things, and, and uh, we, I, I won't spend a lot of time with this because I really want to get uh, Director Peters up here to talk to you about as we look into the future. But, but here are the five things that, that we do here, and, and this is really important. You know, train and educate. So that's, that's pretty simple. A student coming out of high school, a student who has gone down a traditional track, let's call them non-traditional, and they want to do something new. Maybe it's something in um, health professions, maybe it's something in cyber. Uh, 
maybe it's welding. You know, I, it, it, it's amazing um, uh, what what welders and uh, and trades uh, in tradespersons can earn. It is just phenomenal. Retraining is important. Let me give you an example of cyber because cyber is uh, literally literally four years ago when I was up here talking with you about the start of a community college. I don't know that any of you were thinking cyber when I was, I certainly wasn't. What a change. Uh, so we've gone from zero and right now we have almost 85 students enrolled in cyber, but cyber is a profession that has a half-life of 18 months. So what that means is that when Lyle is done with a student and they graduate in cyber with a baccalaureate, a year and a half of, after they leave, half of what they know is no longer true. So what we need to do, we, we need to help through certifications and those kind of things, keep that workforce current. So retraining is, uh, is really important. We worry about our, uh, uh, our kids, our grandkids, leaving the region, going to, can I say Utah? Is that, Greg, is that okay if I? say Utah in once, okay. Um, they, so a lot of times they go to Utah for training and for jobs. We don't want that to happen. And one of the things that a community college helps with, uh, as do our, our university partners, is to uh, affect that outflow of millennials. And then if they leave, and a lot of you are returnees to the region, uh, so you just hated the climate in San Diego. I know it's 72 every day. So you come back here because you're from here. We, we want to attract new companies in here. And, and this, this college is interested in being a pitch that the mayor and, uh, and Reddy can make when, uh, when we're wooing uh, different companies to, to think about Eastern Idaho. And then uh, this is really important, and it's influencing our K-12 system. And what we have to do is get in with a sixth grader, and we've got to show them all this cool stuff. What, what are these occupations? Maybe, maybe it is nursing, maybe it is cyber, maybe it's welding, maybe it's machine tool. We don't know, but we've got to show them what those are early in life so that they can be inspired uh, in order to move into those careers, and we want them to stay in those careers here. And you know, when I, I spoke with Speaker Bedke, I, I, I should have changed, it shouldn't be K-12, it should be K-14. So I want you to think of this block of, of kindergarten through 14 as a, an element that, that we, the community college, can help in. And literally, that two-year degree can make a significant difference in salaries. So in 2000, um, 2017, we have more than tripled our enrollment since then. Uh, we did a little math on our campus. So, so Byron Miles, uh, uh, our vice president of, uh, of finance, we, we commissioned a little bit of work and we've got five buildings and 60 acres. And when you do the math with the chairs, we, we would hit capacity about, about 4,000 students so we can we can have four th up to 4,000 students in a semester and still have space. And there is a lot of online we do that, that doesn't uh, take that into account. But I wanna make sure that you know that we're, we're, getting, we're getting limited in space. The enrollment uh, uh, as of 
fall, fall 21 is up uh, almost 10%. Right now we're, we're approaching 1,500 students, which, you know, for us, and I, I always like to brag about being a baby institution because, you know, there's not a lot of expectation for a baby institution. So, you know, we've only been around four years versus the uh, 50 and 60 years of other institutions. But, uh, but we're at 1,500 students. It will not be long and we'll be right up against that 4,000 students. Early college dual credit is just amazing. Every one of you need to encourage your high school juniors and seniors to do this. And uh, we're, we're, uh, we're up to a, a thousand students now. We started with zero at ITEC. We couldn't do those. But now we're at a thousand dual credit early college students. Nursing with ITEC, we had 35 nurses and that uh, nursing students. That's wonderful. Uh, we've crossed 200, and here's the weird thing, it isn't even us. We could do more. We're out of clinical space. We've got we've to go around, Amy, you know the story, so we, we are, are begging our hospitals to give us more clinical space so we can increase those nurses. So we are, uh, we are open to everyone. There is no admission to this institution. So it is here forever. If you don't speak English, we have a place for you. If you can't do mo math, should I, I, I probably shouldn't do a show of hands as to who can't do math, but uh, we have a place for you if you in fact cannot uh, do math. So those are, those are things that are important. Time to degree, retention, all of those are really critical elements. And in um, the gen eds, we, we've got these things called gem stamped classes that every bachelor's uh, related a student has to have before they can move on uh, as a junior. And again, we, we talked about cyber and the importance of cyber. So one last thing, and then I'm gonna bring up uh, the, the speaker you really want to hear, Anne-Marie, but workforce is ab absolutely critical to us. And uh, you, you may or may not recognize Jeff Stedden, but Jeff is our uh, director of uh, workforce, and I'll tell you what—I um, don't. You may or may not know who uh, Bert Glandon is, President Glandon at CWI, and he uh, recently had retired. And he keeps throwing out these big numbers, big deal. You're in—you're—you're you're in Treasure Valley. You should have a lot of students. So I always love to to throw out this 18,000 students that we have here. Um, in, in the work that uh, Jeff and his team would be doing in teaching workforce. So not only do we do credit work, we do workforce work, and it's really important. Workforce skills about 5,000 and adult enrichment uh, a little bit over 800. I'm gonna mention one other thing and then we'll, we'll let Anne-Marie come up. We, uh, four community colleges do the same thing across the state. Four community colleges do different things in our region. And the, the thing that we have here is Idaho National Lab. And I, I want you to think about this. There, there are 1,500 two-year colleges in the country. I don't know, there are maybe 14, 15 labs. I want you to think about this. College of Eastern Idaho is a 1% college. So we, unlike 99% of the colleges across the country, 
don't have the relationship that we have with Idaho National Lab, which gives us a wonderful opportunity with these students. And it's not just the lab, of course, it's those contractors. So with that, let me turn it over to Anne-Marie Peters. Anne-Marie? Thank you, President Amen, and um, I am so pleased to be able to be here to speak with all of you today. And I get to jump in here to tell you about what some of those other statistics have led to, some of the awards that we have um, earned at the College of Eastern Idaho. But let me pause for a minute to recognize President Amen and uh, the, the um, great work of our trustees in selecting President Amen. All of the things that we're talking about today, all of the phenomenal success of College of Eastern Idaho, and really the way that we are positioned to serve this community in a huge way um, into the future, it's all because of the great leadership of President Amen and the phenomenal team that he has assembled in uh, Eastern Idaho. So we have a number, number of people here today, and, and um, if you get a chance to tell them thank you, they are really doing important work to make sure that our students um, who wouldn't otherwise have access to college um, are getting that access. So just wanted to take a minute to do that. So we're, we've had a number of awards over the four years that we have been a community college, but I'm gonna highlight a few that have just happened in the last few months. So beginning with um, the Aspen Institute Award, some of you are familiar with the Aspen Institute. It's a very prestigious institute that does a lot of great work with think tanks and, and gathering um, people to think about bigger problems like clean energy um, and, and other issues. Um, they also have uh, a part of their, their uh, institute that looks at community colleges. And um, we were selected as one of the top 150 community colleges in the country. Um, pretty, pretty prestigious, the only one in Idaho. So now we're actually in the second phase of that. Um, we'll have to let you know where we land in the, in the one to 150. We're hoping to be at the top, but we'll, we'll keep you posted on that. And then um, Bridges, the Bridges Rural Design Challenge Grant. This is really important because as you know, um, we have a lot of people in our rural communities. And um, at some level, if we're just going to offer traditional classes in a classroom, you know, College of Eastern Idaho might as well be in Egypt as, as Idaho Falls for someone who lives in Chalice. So we are doing a lot of work to try to make our classes accessible, try to create satellite opportunities as much, much as we possibly can. That work was recognized. Um, we initially got a grant about a year ago and we did work with the Driggs community. Um, the work was so good that we actually got selected as one of only five community colleges um, for the second part of this Bridges Rural Design Challenge Grant. And then finally, um, some of you may have seen this in the paper, um, I believe it was in July, we were recognized as a National Center of Academic Excellence in Cyber um, by the NSA. So um, I'm sure all of you can appreciate the prestige of that and we're one of very few community colleges nationwide that have that recognition. So all of these are exciting things and you're, you might wanna know what's next. 
Well, future tech is what's next. There are a lot of things that are next, but this is, this is probably the big one. Um, speaking of cyber, we are, as um, President Amon mentioned, he has actually been a great leader in the state, not only for community colleges, but for universities in cyber education. This is a, a critical field. Um, a couple of years ago, we started talking about facilities for cyber and computer network technician programs. We, our facilities on campus for those programs were not what they needed to be. Um, so initially, we thought we'd do a small technology building just for those two programs. But as we started digging into the labor statistics, we realized that that was really short-sighted. And with talking with many of our employers about the jobs that were coming, and certainly the, all of the projects that have um, been awarded or we hope to be awarded to the INL, um, Amy Lentz was a great part in talking through some of the, the um, positions that are coming into this area. We pretty quickly realized that this was much bigger than just two programs. So, um, we transitioned this to think about energy, environment, and technology, which is, encompasses um, the majority of our career technical education programs and all of them that are technology-based. So I won't read to you all of the programs that will be housed in this building, but um, it is an, going to be uh, about a 90,000 square foot building. This is going to be a very high-tech building for these very high-tech fields. Um, many of these programs we already have on campus or at our satellite at Yellowstone. Um, and the idea with this building is that we will be able to expand those programs. Right now, most of those programs are very, very small because we only have the facilities for a small number of students. We can expand the number and we can expand the programs. And that's very important because if there's something we all know about technology, it's that it's changing every moment. We can't even begin to imagine what fields are going to be necessary in five years. So that's one of the critical parts of this building is we have specifically designed it to make sure that it can pivot as technology advances. And the curriculum as well, because what we don't want to do is train someone who can only go work for uh, Joe's technology firm, right? We want to make sure that we're giving our students the best possible education. So we're also looking at our curriculum to be able to be pivotal as well. And to give students a really good base. So think of skill stacking. So anybody who comes in who is technology-based would have several technology courses that might be similar to one another before they branch off to be a nuclear tech or an engineering tech or one of the other programs. Um, we felt it was very important to have field testing um, facilities in this building. We wanted our industry partners to have the opportunity to bring in their equipment. Um, and it also is very important for our students to be able to have that hands-on practice and, and training as well. And then finally, this might come as a surprise to you because it was iTech before it was CEI, um, but College of Eastern Idaho is the only higher ed facility or organization in um, Idaho that does not have a career technical education um, building. So we think it's, it's about time. So how is this going to impact us and how will this impact the community? Well, as President Amen said, one of our focuses is um, to make sure that our kids and grandkids in Idaho have the opportunities that, that are the best opportunities. I think all of us want to see our kids and grandkids getting jobs rather than having to bring in a lot of people from outside of Idaho, although that's 
okay, I happen to be one of those people. I turned out all right, everybody. Don't worry about it too much. Um, but nonetheless, I, the, the problem right now is that many of our students of any age um, are not educated to be able to apply and get these very high paying positions that will set them up to have a family wage living. Um, and so that's what we really need to change here. And that's a big piece of the dual credit um, going from zero to a thousand. We're already in the high schools, getting people thinking about these high tech occupations. So for our, an associate of applied science with um, an industry recognized certification, that's what we call kind of our credit area. We expect to serve about 500 students and then workforce training, which is more of our just-in-time training that uh, Jeff Snedden runs, um, another 500 there. So we would expect this building to be operating probably about 18 hours a day um, because we're gonna be, be um, serving about 1,000 students in this building. This last line here is, to me, the most important line in this presentation. Um, many of you know uh, that um, I now reside in Columbus, uh, Ohio, and um, many more people ask me, why are you traveling back to Idaho all the time? Because this is a very important part of this project. This project has the opportunity to give our students, who can be anyone in this community, the opportunity to earn a family wage job. The majority of our students right now work full time and go to school part time. They are generally making a minimum wage, $10, $15 an hour, usually without benefits. Many of them are piecing together two, three jobs. We hear this over and over again from our students. This education gives our students the opportunity to go out into the workplace as a technician and start at $27 to $30 an hour. It's probably even more now with the demand that's out there, plus benefits. That's a game changer. That, is, that changes a family, that changes the individual. And we like to say, and, and you can ask Lori and I for our own stories, um, we like to say it changes generations. It changes a trajectory for a family when they can switch from making ends meet to this kind of an opportunity. So what are, what's our plan? Well, we've, we've been really busy in the last year. Just about a year ago, last December, um, of 2020, 2020 um, we had gotten the $2.4 million together that was necessary to do the design and planning for this building. So essentially, that's hiring the architect, hiring a construction management team to be able to create the, the blueprints to hand to a contractor to build this building. So we, we did that hiring um, early last year. Um, we've been very busy, and those documents will be finished next month. Um, they will then have to go out, of course, for all of their approvals, but we would hope to begin um, bidding in May. And with that lined up, we would then be able to start digging in July, so you'd see a lot of activity north of our campus come July. All of this, of course, is predicated on being able to have our construction funding together for this building, and we're, we've been working really uh, hard at that. We hope you'll all be at our, our ribbon cutting in fall of, of 2024. It's gonna be a pretty exciting day. And I have up here our budget. I'm gonna go to the next slide. So we're gonna talk a little bit more about, about budget here. So the budget is about $42.7 million for this building. Um, since last December, we have now raised $30,390,000 toward this building. 
we're really, really proud of that. I mean, imagine here in Idaho Falls, our, our community college, and, and we've already gotten this far. So we're about three quarters of the way here. So, so actually, today is the day that we are announcing to the community that, that we are, are, are asking for the community to now start, start thinking about helping us with this. Up till now, we've really um, been wanting to focus on um, the state, the federal government, um, on employers. We've had some, um, some individuals who have come forward, which has been wonderful. And I do wanna recognize that our own board of trustees, um, as well as our president, have all donated and pledged their own personal funds toward this to the tune of almost $500,000. So we have a lot of commitment to this. So with 12.3 million to go, um, that's not a lot compared to 42, but it's still a lot to get where we're, where we're going. So we're in the final stretch. And um, one of the things that we would ask of all of you is to put, you know, put some thought to this. Do you know an employer? Do you know um, a person? Are you a person who would be interested in contributing to this, um, this important building for this region? Um, Anything, of course, will be recognized and would be welcome, any, any donation um, within the building, but, but certainly um, naming opportunities are available at this point, too, for those who really want to create a legacy in this region. So now the exciting part. I'm going to show you the floor plans, and then we'll do a quick fly-through of the building technology um, serving us, hopefully. Um, so this building will be located on the northernmost part of our campus. Uh, that, the, the road there, that's um, hit, most of you are pretty familiar with where campus is. So Future Tech is essentially across from Walmart. And this is going to be a very iconic building. We think that it's very, very important that this is a message about education as well as a high-tech building where great education is going on. Um, that being said, we are going to fly through the building, but um, I, I also will talk about just briefly now, um, we've been very, very careful with this building. I think our architects are going to hang up on me or disconnect the Zoom if I one more time ask them what other things we can possibly do to save money on this building. So I want you to know, when you see this, it's a beautiful building, but we have done a lot of work to make sure that it is not an extravagant building. So this is the floor plan. I won't bore you with a lot of details. Anybody who wants a lot of details, I love to talk about it, so we can talk about it afterward. Um, but the orange is essentially the um, classroom space in the building. The green is the, the collaborative space. We actually don't have very much um, space right now for students to gather uh, informally on campus. Um, you'll see people sitting in the hallways outside of classrooms. That's really not a great way to encourage someone to take more classes. Um, so we think this is an important addition. Very small amount of faculty offices. This is a very student-centered building. So that purple there um, are the only um, shared faculty offices that we have. And then those field testing labs that I mentioned are the, it's the blue part here. We've got engineering tech in there and that advanced manufacturing and machine tool, which of course will um, eventually morph into uh, AI. Um, the one place I would draw your attention to is up in the, the right-hand corner, it says active learning. That's our largest classroom, and, and the reason I want to point that out is because I think it really speaks to a couple of things. Um, how do you inspire people to uh, take classes? How do you inspire people to think about technology, maybe, rather than whatever it is they're thinking about? 
Um, well, one of the ways that we're hoping to do that is to draw students on campus who are, have not yet decided that they want to be in one of these technical fields into the building. Well, we could do that with our, with our little coffee shop, we could do that with the collaboration space, but this large classroom is very likely to hold a lot of our gen ed classes. So that would be like your English 101, your, your um, uh, math, college algebra, et cetera. So our students who are not currently involved in programs on, in this building would be encouraged and will likely um, be walking right through and seeing all the exciting things in this building to attend classes there. Also, our high school students those are the classes they're taking. So for our students who are coming to campus from high schools, it is very likely they would also have a class in that, in that large classroom and would um, be able to come in and hopefully get inspired. So on this, um, this is the second floor and I, I, I want to point out something that um, is about us being a community college. Um, we always remember that with everything that we do. We are here to serve the community, not just in education. So you'll see we've added a large conference space. Um, we know that that's something that's in demand in this area. And truthfully, it's also for CEI. We currently only have a room that seats about 120 people. We can't have an in-service with our faculty. We can't have any big meetings. So that will be um, for uh, all of us to enjoy. So, um, and also, I guess the last thing I'll say about this slide, there's a few conference, conference rooms up on the top. You can see the seminar rooms there. Those are um, going to be able to be associated if there's an event at the conference center, but I think it's also important to note that those can very easily be transitioned into classrooms um, just as soon as that time comes that we need that space for classrooms. So um, before I close and let Dana ask us some questions, um, I was just going to mention one thing. That black box that you saw on the side of the wall in the conference center is another part um, of this building that is really geared toward the community. So what it is, it's hiding bleachers behind it. And those bleachers are not standard bleachers. They pull down into theater seats. So it will give us the opportunity to have a performing arts area um, for the community. As you know, as, as a community college, we do not have a performing arts program. Um, but we do know that there's lots of demand for that in the community. And we also are pretty certain it might be a little while before we get another building. So we want to do everything that we can to make this building as flexible and usable as possible. So with that, I'll say thank you and uh, ask Dr. Amon to come back up here with me so we can answer your questions. Well, thank you both. Get away, so appropriately six feet away from all of you and away from the buzz, so that's good. Well, first of all, that's a super exciting way to end. And I just have to say um, how much admiration I have for anyone who will engage courageously in building something. Because it's like I always tell my kids, it's very easy to be a critic. It's much more difficult to be an artist. And you know, the thing about a building is it's one of those things that's there for generations and people can walk in and sometimes someone might say, well, who thought this was a good idea, right? So you take that risk. So I'm just saying I have a lot of you know, kudos and, and, courage and, and much admiration for your courage. So let's dive right in because we just talked about the building, Emory, and uh, we had a question come in about the funding. So it looks like you've done a tremendous job, but there was in parentheses the 10 million that was oh. pledged by the governor. So yes. is that a for sure thing or where are you on that? I'm so glad someone asked that question because I missed saying that, I apologize. Um, so that is not um, through the legislature yet. However, um, that, was, that was hot off the press, um, which is probably why I forgot to say it. 
Um, on Monday, when the governor published his budget, he has allocated $10 million for the future tech building. Um, so that is why that's up there. Now, it's uh, hopefully a pretty, pretty good chance that we'll make it all the way through. And one of the reasons for um, our level of confidence in that is because the governor's office, as well as our legislators and legislators from outside of this region as well, see this building as a really important um, addition for Idaho, um, but also in the spirit of even Stevens and fairness, um, the governor uh, allocated $10 million for the College of Southern Idaho and $10 million for the College of Western Idaho. So that makes it more likely that um, all of the legislators will be excited about those particular allocations. I hope that answers it. Yeah, very good. It also increases the price tag though, right? So it's 30 million instead of really 10, correct? That they're asking for because they're asking for all of the community colleges. Correct. correct. So their total I think was 33 million. I think they're also giving $3 million for some repairs to Northern Idaho. Is that right? Yeah. So certainly if you're a supporter in this audience, if you reached out to your legislators, that wouldn't hurt, right? Okay. So the 12.3 that's left to go, are you hoping that that will entirely come from the community campaign that you mentioned, or do you have other donors that you're hoping to knock on doors? Um, no, we are not assuming it's going to come from the community. We are, there is no stone left unturned, let me tell you. <laughs> um, we are actively working on some um, federal funding possibilities. Um, we have also been um, working really hard with corporate and family foundations. I believe my list is like 38 family and corporate foundations that we have vetted and targeted and have put in applications to. We've been very successful with that um, in, in many cases, which has been wonderful, um, including Simplot, which um, their foundation doesn't usually pay attention to us over here on the east side, but um, got a wonderful donation there. Um, but what we are hoping for is that there might be some people who are in our community who are interested in having a big part in this building. And that's that's the naming opportunities. Um, I think you all have some cards on your table. That's the naming opportunities there. And certainly, if anyone knows of anyone who would like to name the building, you should give me a ring. So let, let me compliment Anne Marie. I think you have 80 some asks out. And that's, that's beyond uh, really anyone in this room. Dave Facer is back there, our director from uh, the foundation. He has been working with the foundation as well. I, we won't get into it, but there's something called a new market tax credit. Because of where the college is located, there's a great possibility that some major banks could get some tax credit by helping with this building. I, I, we're just out of great ideas. We have, <laughs> we have asked just about everyone we could think of from our uh, from our legislative, um, uh, uh, all of our legislators uh, here in Idaho to the, uh, those in Washington, D.C. There's a number of opportunities. And uh, let me just mention this at a state level. What on earth do you do with $1.9 billion that you're looking for a home? Well, for? you certainly don't give it back. And that's what I'm going to say about that. And you can all and, call. Uh, for those on radio, that was Dana Kirkham. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you don't give it back. You spend it. Okay. Um, okay, so one last question about money, and then we'll move on from this. But 
understandably so because the project is dependent on it, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, like in most things in life. So if you don't get the additional 12.3 and you've gone to this monumental effort of getting the 30 million, yeah. then what? Well, then I haven't done my job. Oh. But um, no, I think that there are still um, a number of opportunities. Um, we're always, I'm always pursuing new things and every day someone says to me, you know, I know that this particular employer is gonna be interested in this or this foundation and so on. So um, I fully expect that we will, we will meet this goal. I don't even like to talk about what happens if, we're, if the shovel isn't going into the ground in, in June or July because I fully intend to have this funded by then um, in order to do that. But if it didn't, then it would get delayed and that would be too bad. Um, I, would, I think I'm speaking for all of us, not just Dr. Amen and I, but for all of us at CEI. Um, unfortunately, being at a school, it isn't like if your house gets delayed, it doesn't go from October to November, right? Because we work on semesters. So if this, it, we have this full set of construction documents and it's unable to go out for bidding um, in the spring, then it, it, it may go in a drawer um, until we can get the rest of the funding. Um, which could push it, you know, it would probably push it till fall of 25, which, you know, I feel like this should have been a building five years ago because then we'd already be accommodating all these students and jobs. But, um, but right now the plan is to raise the money. Perfect. And it's a beautiful building. Yes, sir. Let me just jump in here. Uh, from a trustee standpoint, what, what has us excited about this is that We've actually proved the concept. I mean, we have $30 million in this project. And so there are, we, I know we have talked to a number of foundations, and I think many of them are wondering, can you do this? When we have $30 bucks committed, then we believe there'll be more foundations that will, uh, will, will uh, donate to us. It's very important, however, that the community, and that's what they tell us, well, what's the community doing? That's why the trustees pledged $500,000 to this project, because we believe in it. We hope we get a lot of people in the community to do the same, and then we have a really strong story to tell everybody. Thank you. Okay, we're gonna switch gears a little bit. So this is probably for Dr. Amen, and it'll be very difficult to narrow down who asked this question in this particular audience, but um, what programs do you have to attract people, say, in their 70s and 80s to your school? <laughs> well, the, uh, the, the, the 70s and 80s now are really the 50s and 60s. We all, we all know that. So you're... Here, here. Yeah, exactly. So you're just in the prime of your life at that point. Uh, you know, we have a lot of adult enrichment. That's Jeff's job to go out and do it. If we're talking about adult uh, enrichment, there are so many interesting programs out there. You know, maybe you want to start welding, for example. Maybe, maybe art is something that you're interested in. We haven't moved into the humanities, the arts, and those kind of things. And uh, this college uh, would ultimately need to move in that realm as well. But, but this is, I mean, that's really important. We, again, we are a community college. We're open to everyone. And uh, we would love to have 80-year-olds uh, at the College of Eastern Idaho. All right, so this is probably for both of you. What do you see as the relationship between CEI's tech center, or your future tech, and District 91's new technology education center? Okay, is there Kate, sure, I'll start, and then Anne-Marie, you could add uh, accuracy to what I say. So, 
the, uh, the, we're really talking about the K-14 concept, and, and we can't let these high school students graduate without knowing what they want to be. This is a synergy. As we have uh, a synergy with uh, Dr. Castle, as we are able to move students on toward a baccalaureate, master's, PhD. We, we live in a, a wonderful place where we're small enough that we can know uh, all of these opportunities. We've got some phenomenal employers here. So we have to work closely with those career technical. And, and really what we're after, uh, there, there's, uh, there's three things that we wanna see when a student graduates from us. Obvious would be a degree. The second thing is we want an industry recognized certification. Maybe that is in cyber, maybe it's in IT, maybe it's in human resources, maybe it's in project management. But that's something that business and industry wants. We want to see that certification. We want, we, we, we haven't said um, yet, that, but this is critical. Apprenticeships, uh, internships, co-ops. We want our students to have a relationship with you all, business and industry, before they leave us. Um, I guess the only thing I would add to that is to say that, um, you know, our focus is really education. Um, so we hope that our, our, we're going to be able to move the needle on our high school students. Right now, most of you probably know the go-on rate's about 50% um, for, on average for the state of Idaho. Worse in rural communities, of course. Um, we think that our dual credit efforts will move the needle on that. Um, however, for those that don't go on to any post-secondary, um, wouldn't we want them to have that in their K-12 experience? Because we want them to be prepared in some way, and you just can't operate in today's world without that kind of background. We would really be putting our students at a disadvantage if we weren't looking at that K through PhD. So let me ask you a follow-up on that, and as a mother of two young adult children, and certainly having spent a lot of time with high school students. She said, we need to reach back to sixth graders. I think that's what you said in your presentation, Dr. Amen. Um, and that we need to let them see the opportunity, particularly future, through future tech, that they could earn 27 to $30 an hour. Here's my question, though, is how do you help them understand the difference between $10 an hour and $30 an hour? Because I just know from my own children and from many of their friends, they don't really know what $30,000 a year or $130,000 a year means to their life. Right. And, and that's, I think, a financial literacy question. Um, and I think that more and more we need to be taught. There's a lot of, um, there are a lot of statistics that are available um, that I'm sure any of you could Google very easily online that speak to your level of education and your income earning potential. And um, boy, does it skyrocket once you go past high school. And just to be able to show people that, um, as far as the value of the dollar, gee, I don't know, maybe we should create create a class. But one thing, one thing I forgot to mention um, when we were going through the building, another way to attract students to education and to post-secondary education is to make sure that they're seeing the exciting things and thinking of themselves as a student and a successful college student. So the dual credit part is very, very important, but also that building opens up a lot of opportunities to get K-12 students, their parents, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles in the building and talking about education. So, you know, that big um, area that comes up to that stairway is a great place for our students to be able to display some of the great things that they're working on and get, get others excited about it. But it's also a great place for our K-12 students 
to come and have a robotics competition, um, a science fair, come play esports. We'll use that for esports. So always to try to get that enthusiasm. Coding competition, yep. yeah. So one of the things that may have escaped you, but it's entrepreneurship. So financial literacy is important uh, uh, in, uh, in the K-12 realm. But when they move over to us, entrepreneurship and business are really important. And I think we're seeing from COVID that a lot of people are starting their own business. This kind of a, a building is perfect to do proof of concept before one goes out and, and actually creates their own business. So so. Uh, okay, yeah, maker. Okay, I don't know if you know what a makerspace is, but a makerspace is a room with a lot of different equipment, everything from 3D printers to lathes to, uh, uh, I hate to say welding equipment because nothing can go wrong with that, but, but the, the kind of equipment in there to, to build prototypes, and, and this would be for our students to, to build a prototype, see if they can move into uh, entrepreneurship. We, we are very good in Idaho at, uh, at actually entrepreneurship. Uh, we see that all around us and that's an important element that we would work with in this building. Very good. Okay, we're just about out of time and I have one question left that came in and I think it's kind of a nuts and bolts question, probably one of your favorite, but um, how do you plan to keep tuition costs affordable? Uh, <laughs> it's really Mark, simple. Would you like to take that? Go ahead. No, it's, it's really simple. We have the state give us more general fund money so that we... Okay, we, we, sit, on a, we, we sit on a stool of three legs, and I, I think you all know this, and if you don't, I'll just remind you. One is property tax. We have set a very affordable property tax, uh, and it has declined uh, since the creation. And, Park, I don't know if you're, well, I, I, I know for sure, uh, you would know Byron, is it about 13? Okay, 10 or 11 dollars per 100,000, we started at 15. That's gonna be hard to move, that's possible. The other is tuition, we, we wanna keep that at 129. It costs a student about $3,000 a year uh, in, in order to attend uh, any of the community colleges in Idaho. So. The only thing left then would be that uh, general fund allocation that comes from the state. Th those are the three. Those are the three legs, short of um, uh, any kind of uh, uh, opportunities that um, business and industry would have to help us uh, fund the college. Well, thank you, Dr. Amen. Thank you, Amory. Thank you for spending the afternoon with us. Let's give them a big thank you. And on your way out, if you want to write a check for $12.3 million, I'm sure they would appreciate it. The City Club of Idaho Falls supports KISU and its events are held at the Bennion Student Union Building and are open to the public. This campus setting reinforces the goal of educating the greater Idaho Falls community about issues of local, state, and national importance. Search for City Club of Idaho Falls to get more information.